what God is doing there, and we certainly appreciate this family. This family is a friend to our church. Uh, some of the first people that reached out with pastor was in Dubai, uh, were the Love Groves, and just reassuring, telling us that's a great hospital there. In fact, they had been there before for medical procedures and offering if we needed them to, to hop on a plane and get over there to Dubai. And so we certainly appreciate that and just the help they were in that time for our church family. And so, Josh, if you, if you want to come up and we'll just uh, spend, spend some time just maybe getting to know you guys a little bit better. Maybe you want to introduce your family as well, sir? Yes, let me introduce. This is my better half, Ruth, my much better half. Uh, we've been married, uh, let's see, how long? This is, a, this, is a t this is a quiz. About 11 years or so, okay. And these are our three J's over here. This is Jeremiah. Raise your hand up high. He's 10 years old. And then Joel over there. Joel is nine. We all say he has perfect hair. His hair never gets out of place. I don't know how he does that. And then Jonan, our redhead who keeps us smiling. He's got a big personality. And we love our boys, and we're so thankful to serve the Lord there in Ethiopia. Yeah, well, I just wanted to ask some questions, maybe just to get to know. And uh, it's exciting to see. I think in the morning service, you guys said almost 200 people have been saved in Ethiopia during that time. What have you guys found is the best way to reach people in Ethiopia as you've been there? You know, it's probably a lot like it is here. It's building relationships. So it's, uh, we've built over a period of time a good name, a good testimony in our community where God has blessed us with a three-story building where our church is. Um, an Ethiopian man gave us his building to use for our church to start the church and uh, just totally free of charge. So we're still in that same converted house into a church and so on. But we go out usually on Saturday mornings, um, besides through the week of just building relationships, talking to people. We usually go out on Saturday mornings, we have a prayer meeting, and then also our gospel outreach soul winning time. Or we go out with gospel tracts and we encourage our people. Uh, we train them how to lead people to Christ and also how to invite, how to follow up with people. So just uh, a lots of follow-up. We have a follow-up form um, on Sunday if a guest comes. Um, you know, they fill out a form, and we follow up with them. We keep those in the file. If we have special Sundays, we'll call back through that list. Many of them will come again. So just the long-term building the relationship and then eventually seeing them come to Christ, get baptized, and get discipled, it's an exciting process to watch. And then also, Ruth, I, I know you shared with us in the Sunday school about sort of the children's ministry, and you get to, to sort of head that up. And if you don't mind maybe sharing that today. I do. I have that tremendous privilege. Uh, I spend quite a bit of time uh, pouring over the kids, uh, and we usually average, oh, uh, between 15 to 25, sometimes upwards of 50 kids, depending. Um, and every single one of them has a need of some sort. Um, most of all, they need to know the truth of the gospel. They need to know that they have a Heavenly Father that loves them. Uh, and so we uh, really enjoy pouring into the kids. Uh, it's kind of the exception that kids get any attention. Kids are kind of given the brush off in the Ethiopian culture often. And so to for them to have their own class and to have um, colorful pictures and different things that we can use to stimulate the lesson and clearly explain it, um, it's exciting for them. And so to see it come alive and that light bulb turn off on in their head, you know, oh, we get it, we understand it. It's amazing. It's tremendous. I have a lady named Miss Roman. Um, she's a Canadian lady who knows both English and Amharic, which is the national language. Um, she's my translator for the kids' class. So her and I team up and just love on those kids each and every week, and it is a tremendous privilege. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then you were sharing about sort of the poverty in that area mm -hmm. and with the kids. The kids did a great job asking about a lot of different animals, and uh, they made sure to ask about all that in the uh, junior church. But, uh, but Josh was sharing with them just about what it is like living there. So if you don't mind sharing some of that. Just how living there? Yeah, like the poverty, everything. Yeah, like it's you. one of the poorest countries in the world. When my parents went to Ethiopia, my parents were missionaries there for a short time back in the late 1990s. Uh, we were there for a short time, then had to leave the field due to some political unrest and so on. But we were there in like 98 into 99, and at that time, Ethiopia was listed as the third poorest country in the world. Now, over the last about 20 years, they're now up to, I think, like the 20th poorest country. They've made great economic improvement. 
and so on, but extremely impoverished, still very dependent on agriculture. Their crops coming in, the rain's coming at the right time, not too much rain, not too little rain, in order to bring their harvest in because most of them would be farmers. Many of the men in our church who are godly men with wives and children, the economy's very bad right now, especially due to the civil war going on and so on, they would love to be able to get a job making 2,000 to 3,000 burr a month. That would be about 40 to 50, 40 to about 60 US dollars per month, working full time, often like six days a week, eight, 10 hours a day. Um, they'd like to make about 10 bucks a week. So you can see how blessed we are and what a difference it is in those we deal with. Now we are blessed with some other families who um, you know, have more successful business careers or have been to college, but that's the exception, not the norm. Most of the people we would deal with would be like the people you see in the video living in chickabates, mud houses. Um, some of the kids were asking about that, or little tin, uh, tin uh, corrugated metal um, kind of houses. If they have a little more wealth and they'll live in a concrete house with a big compound around them and barbed wire or electric wire on top and so on, but that's, that's the minority. Yeah. And then let me encourage you, I'm going to ask you guys, just give you a second, think about specific ways to pray for Ethiopia. We know a lot's going on there. And I just want to encourage you as a church family maybe to write some of these things down. And that way we can pray for the specific needs that, that are going on. And so what are some specific things that we can pray for as far as the country is concerned right now? Yeah, so pray for the U.S.-Ethiopia relationship. Um, it's kind of at its worst point it's been in many decades right now, just uh, with some different things going on. It seems like there might be some improvement in that in the last few days, uh, but that's a long-term thing that affects us as missionaries, even though we call ourselves Nich Habasha to the Ethiopians, which means we're the white Ethiopians, we tell them. <laughs> they always laugh at that. Um, but we, we need um, God's favor so that we can continue to see people saved and baptized and discipled, and then to see the next generation of Ethiopians, these ones we've reached, trained up, and then these kids and teens and so on, trained up to the point where they're spiritually mature, rooted and grounded enough where they're going to grow up to marry a godly person and raise godly children, um, and that's, that's our prayer, the long-term vision and so on. So continue to pray just that we can fulfill the Great Commission, pray for peace in Ethiopia, um, and anything else maybe that you would add? I think just continued open doors for opportunity, not only just as we pass out tracks in our community, but also real relationships that we develop, that we work on, you know, trying to develop for the sake of the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And then what about family for you guys? What are specific things that we can pray for for you guys as a family? I would say I'm um, definitely pray for my wife. She has to put up with me, number one. That's difficult, okay? Um, but she's saying that, but um, she knows the truth. So. Um, and then uh, secondly, um, definitely our boys homeschool, and they do a great job with that, you know, uh, using a video curriculum from America here. Um, but just pray that we can continue to be used by God to learn the language more fluently, which is a many, many years process. There's no missionary in Ethiopia that speaks the language fluently and actually preaches or teaches in it. There's just not the materials and the training, the teaching, and it's a very difficult language. So everyone, every missionary there, the very small handful in what's uh, called the restricted access nation like Ethiopia, um, has a translator. So we're blessed. Our translator's been called to preach. I'm training him up for the gospel ministry. Uh, pray for our Bible Institute, if you would, um, as well. Uh, this is another thing that comes to mind. We started a Bible Institute. You saw our nine students that completed our last course. So we want to really, you know, be an example to those families in their marriage. Um, pray for God to bless our marriage and give us wisdom as parents so we can be a good testament to these Ethiopian families that need to see that. They need to see the hope of the gospel that changes lives and changes families for eternity. That's great. And again, we, we thank you for letting us partner together with you guys. Thank you. And uh, we're certainly praying for you. And now we know a little bit better how to pray for the Love Groves. And so Josh is going to preach for us in just a minute. Right before he does, we're going to go ahead and let the kids be dismissed. So uh, for Children's Choir there, so you guys can head back with Ms. Gleb uh, for Children's Choir. And uh, Josh, you can go ahead and uh, just share with us God's word tonight, sir. Thank you so much. Well, the very first time I ever came to Mountain Avenue Baptist Church was for Brother Mike and Joanna's wedding. I was part of their wedding uh, party. Brother Mike 
has been a great friend, one of my closest friends to me for, I guess, about 16 years. He asked this morning, and again in class, how long have we known each other? I said, too long, you know. Uh, so, you know, we both kind of kid with each other, but I'm really thankful uh, for faithful servants of the Lord. Uh, we had a wonderful lunch with Pastor Sidlowski. Thank you for that again. And we're just rejoicing at the work God's doing here. He was telling us about the school. Wow, how God is blessing this school. And what an opportunity um, for evangelism and discipleship through those families of the church that come from all different backgrounds. And wow, how God is using this ministry in Banning, California to affect the world is amazing. And let's keep on being used by the Lord. Amen. If you would, take your Bibles over to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 20. I want to speak to you tonight on the change the gospel makes. The change that the gospel makes in the lives and hearts of people. Let's look at Mark chapter 5 and read verse 1 through 20, and then go to the Lord in prayer asking his blessing on his word and on the message tonight. Mark 5, 1 through 20, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the gatherings, and when he was come out of the ship... Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones." But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the power of your word. Lord, we thank you for the power of the gospel. Lord, we thank you that you have changed our lives, that you have transformed our hearts. Lord, not because of our goodness or anything we have done, but because of your grace. Lord, we have trusted you by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, for our eternal salvation. And Lord, we thank you for the change the gospel has made in our lives. Would you help us, Lord? Would you... Help us to be reminded tonight of that change that took place in our lives when the gospel came into our lives and the change you continue to do in our lives and the change that this world needs. Would you convict us and change us, Lord, to do more for the sake of the gospel and to make a difference for you. Lord, we love you. We pray for your Holy Spirit to do the work in hearts and lives only he can do. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus has just gotten through calming the storm, the great storm 
Jesus had been teaching in Mark chapter 4 on the parables of the seeds, three different parables. And after teaching in a long day of ministry, the Bible says in the end of Mark chapter 4 that Jesus, who's already on a boat uh, teaching there on the Sea of Galilee, some other boats come with him, and he decides to send the people away. And the people then go uh, to rest, to get lodging, to get food. And Jesus begins the journey across the sea with his disciples. Now you remember the story. The great wind arose and the great storm came. And where is Jesus in the storm? He's asleep on a pillow. Now I don't know what kind of pillow that was, but I want one of those. One of those pillows you can sleep through the storms? That'd be nice, right? I went into Kohl's the other day because we were looking for a pillow when we got back. I can't believe how much a pillow can cost. That's a separate subject. But I think I saw some for over $100. But man, Jesus, man, he had this pillow. And you know what the pillow was? Being in the center of the will of God. When Jesus is with you in the storm, you know what? You can have peace in the storm just as much as you can have peace after the storm. And Jesus was teaching his disciples in these early times with them that you can trust me. If I'm with you, everything's going to be okay. And in the midst of the storm, before the storm, after the storm, everything's going to be okay. And Jesus cries out those words in verse 39 of Mark 4 saying, Peace be still. And Jesus shows his power over nature. He shows that he is not just a man. He is the God-man. He is the almighty, all-powerful creator of heaven and of earth. And the disciples are just learning that because they respond by saying, what manner of man is this? And as we get into Mark chapter 5, we're going to see that Jesus as God in the flesh not only has power over nature, but he has power over Satan and power over demons and power over this spirit world. And here we see the story of Jesus healing the demon-possessed man of Gadara. What a powerful story. Now, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have a God who is your loving Heavenly Father. Amen? And He has a purpose and a plan for your life. But Satan does not want you to be in the center of God's will. And Satan brings sin into our lives to try to get us away from God and confuse us. And that's where this man is at in Mark chapter 5. He's in a terrible place. I want you to notice with me in our passage here tonight in this story the threefold progression of what goes on here in our story. Notice with me, first of all tonight, the terrible condition of this man. Did you see verse 1 through 5? And they came over unto the other side of the sea. You see, Jesus, even as he leaves his teaching on one side of the Sea of Galilee and begins the journey across and they go through the great storm, Jesus knew where he was headed. Jesus always knows where he's going and he guides and directs our steps. And Jesus said, I need to go over to this desert place, to this region called Decapolis, because there's a man or a couple of men there that I want to change their lives with the power of the gospel. And so they come over to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, the Bible says, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now this story is also given for us in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 through chapter 9, verse 1, and also in Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 39. Now in Matthew's account, Matthew, if you remember, was a tax collector. Numbers were very important to Matthew because that's what he had done for a living before he came to Jesus. Matthew mentions two demon-possessed men. But Mark and Luke focus in on one of those demon-possessed men, probably the vocal one, probably the leader, the one that was really speaking to Jesus. And here we have this man mentioned, but he's in a terrible state along with apparently the other who is there with him in the tombs. Notice what verse 2 says, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with fetters, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. 
And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. What a sad description. Verse 2 tells us this man had an unclean spirit. There was an unholy spirit that controlled him. And he had lived a life, apparently a life of sin, and he was defiled to a point where many demons had come to do Satan's work in his life and have now taken residence up in him. Verse 3 goes on to tell us where this man lived. The Bible says he had his dwelling among the tombs. That's where he lived. He lived among the tombs. Now a more fitting place could not be found for him. He's one of many in the world today who are the living dead. They are alive physically, but they are dead spiritually in sins and trespasses. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 6 says, But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And here we have a man who has probably tried everything. Every sinful lust and pleasure of this world and his life has been destroyed. Proverbs 21 verse 16 tells us, The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. And all around us, when we go walk at Walmart or we go uh, pick up our food at Taco Bell or we go for the morning walk and we see our neighbors walking their dogs on the other side of the street, all around us are the walking dead. They're alive physically, but they're dead spiritually. And they need a believer who's alive, who's been born again through the power of Jesus Christ to share the gospel with them. This poor soul, this demon-possessed man is at where so many in this lost world are. This is their sad condition. Now Satan has such complete control over this man that the demon-possessed man has no control. And that's what happens the more we give in to sin and selfish desires and allow Satan to work in our lives, the more we think we have control and the less we actually do. And Satan is a deceiver. Jesus said in John 8, 44 of Satan, Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Satan's an expert at deceiving us into believing that sin leads to a good end. And this man is now living out the consequences of his sin. This man is crazy. He's insane. He's so possessed by the power of Satan and his forces that they cannot bind him with anything that will keep him from going crazy. They've tried everything. They've tried maybe cords or ropes. They've tried metal fetters and chains. And the power of Satan in his life is able to break those apart. I'm here to tell you, after living in Africa for a number of years, that the power of Satan and his forces are real. They are real. Ephesians 6 and verse 12 tells us, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I can remember one holiday there, uh, that's a, really a festival of, of, uh, with much witchcraft involved in it based on one of the ethnic groups there in Ethiopia. And they will worship these trees in their communities. And the things seem very strange to us what they do. They get butter and they rub it on these trees. They have these special trees in each community. And it's all about Satanism and, and demons and witchcraft. And I can remember our power just going crazy in our house and things blowing up in our house on that night as, as we saw even there in Ethiopia, this power of Satan that's very real. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. And when you go to these places where Satan has had dominion for hundreds and hundreds of years, he's not happy that the gospel light has come into that area. And there's great opposition to the work of the gospel. 
And you can feel just the heaviness in some areas with all the witchcraft that goes on there. There are many places where they go, even in the communities, even though it might not look like what we imagine our mind, with witch doctors and witchcraft and these things there. That's where this man is at. Satan has controlled him. And his power is real. You see, sin promises you freedom, but leaves you in chains and fetters. Sin promises that, hey, it's going to lead to a good end. You're having fun. Everything will be fine. But it leads to a bondage that you cannot change and a terrible end that you deserve. How sad is the end of verse 4? Neither could any man tame him. He's at a point where no one else in this world can help him. He has given his life over to Satan and his life is being destroyed. He's living among the dead. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Romans 6.23 goes on to tell us, for the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. James 1.15 describes the process of sin. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burneth with fire and brimstone, this which is the second death. You see, sin is real and the power of Satan is real and Satan will do everything in his power to keep people from coming to know the power of the gospel. Because it is the only power that can break the power of Satan. This man in this passage, this demon-possessed man, he's living with no rest in his life and no peace in his life. Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 22 tells us, There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. And no matter what they do to try to calm this man down, they cannot calm him. Isaiah 57.21 says, There is no peace, peace saith my God to the wicked. You see, this man's living maybe where many of us have lived before. He's living in the wandering desert wilderness of sin. And it's an empty life. It's a life of no peace and no rest and no fulfillment. This is the terrible description of this man's condition. Notice what verse 5 goes on to say about this man. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. He's living like a wild animal. He's wanting out of the misery that his life has become, but he has no solution. Proverbs eleven nineteen says, he that pursueth evil, pursueth it to his own death. And see, sin never shows you that picture, and Satan never shows you that picture of where your sin's leading, but the Bible's very clear about the wages of sin is death. And this man is literally trying to even commit suicide and kill himself because his life is so miserable. You see, Satan is a thief, and he has come to kill and to steal and to destroy. That's what Jesus said about him in John 10.10. He wants to tell you the ending it all. And committing suicide is the answer. But I'm here to tell you it never is. There's a better way. There is a solution. The solution to your sin problem and where sin has led you is not suicide. It's the Savior. And He can break the chains of sin and He can set you free. You see, John 10.10 goes on to say, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to break the power of sin and the power of Satan, even in a life that's gone this far like we see this maniac of Gadara. So we see the terrible condition of this man. But notice with me, secondly tonight, 
the telling conversation that Jesus has with this man. The telling conversation. Notice what this man does when he sees Jesus. Verse 6 says, But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him or bowed before him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he, Jesus, said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. In verse 6, the demon-possessed man meets Jesus. And the Word of God tells us he makes his way quickly over to Jesus and bows before him. Isn't it amazing that even the demons know who the true master and all-powerful one is? And they tremble in fear at the name of Jesus. They tremble in fear because they know only Jesus can break their power over sinful lives. Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God, this man cries out. Now how sad. Look at the end of verse 7. Notice what this man says. At who's possessed by the devils, by these demons. What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Here's a man who could not be living in more torment. He's living among the tombs with no rest and no peace, possessed by devils, and yet Satan is still feeding him the lie that if you come to Jesus, there will be torment. And the world is feeding the light to that, hey, if you come to God, if you come to Jesus, you know what, it's just going to be boring. It's going to take all the fun out of your life and it's just going to be miserable. And I'm here to tell you nothing could be further from the truth. Serving God and following His will is the greatest adventure of all. It's what you were created for. But you know what sin does, especially as we get addicted to sin? It distorts our thinking. It distorts our perspective and before we know it, we think Jesus is out to make our lives miserable. I want you to see what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Jesus says there, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You see, truth is the only thing, the truth of Jesus Christ, that can set you free. There's nothing else and no one else that can set you free. The truth doesn't lead to bondage, it sets you free. Christ gives you liberty no longer to serve the master of sin, but to serve Him. There's no joy or fulfillment found that's found in knowing and doing the will of God for your life. There's no greater joy. Don't believe the lie of the devil. Now Jesus demonstrates his superior power over the demons by telling them in verse 8 to come out of the man. And Jesus asks the name of those unclean spirits, the demons that are in this man. And they answer in verse 9 and say, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, the term Legion was a military term. And it referred to groups of many thousands of soldiers. My guess is that maybe there were about 2,000 demons in this man. And the reason I think that is possibly because they asked to go into these swine, into these pigs, and the Bible says there was about 2,000 of them. And it tells us what happened to them. We'll see that in a minute. But Jesus allows these demons to enter into the swine. Now, I'm not positive why Jesus did that. But some people believe that these demons wanted to have an abode somewhere. They wanted to be in the presence of something, but they knew Jesus would not allow them to enter into another person and do harm. And so Jesus said, hey, the unclean spirits can go into the unclean pigs. And I'm going to allow them to go into there. And what happens? Notice this great power again of these demons. 
Verse 11 says, Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine or pigs feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. So Jesus allows these demons from this one man to go into about 2,000 pigs. That's how possessed this man was with the devil. What a sight that must have been. As these pigs run off, eventually off a cliff, maybe even going a number of miles to the edge of the Sea of Galilee where they jump off the cliff into the water and these pigs are drowned. How powerful these demons were, but they were no match for the power of Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And it's that power we go with to share the gospel that can change lives, that can break the power of Satan and can give them the victory through Jesus Christ. Now, these were obviously Gentiles who were taking care of these pigs. They were raising these pigs because even 2,000 years ago, people liked bacon and ham. Amen? And man, people wanted some pork chops. And so the Gentiles, so the Gentiles, it wasn't unclean, just as it isn't today to us. But in Ethiopia, it's the same today. The Orthodox and Muslim will not eat any pig or any pork. So they're in a faraway place, kind of on the outskirts, if you would, of Israel, in this place known as Decapolis, kind of um, off to the uh, northeast of the Sea of Galilee, in this area known as Decapolis. And here these men are raising these pigs, and all of a sudden, can you imagine the cost of all these pigs? That was these people's business. That's how they made their living. And notice what happens as we go on through the passage. Verse 14 says, And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. The Gentiles who are taking care of these pigs can't believe what they've just seen. They start telling everyone in the city and in the area what's happened, what Jesus has done. And they all want to come back to see for themselves if what these men are saying is true. And pretty soon a crowd has gathered. And they find out that what these men are telling them is true. What will be their response to the miracle-working power of Jesus Christ? What will be their response? Notice with me, lastly this evening, the transformative change in the man the transformative change in this man who's possessed by thousands of demons, the transformative change that Jesus makes in his life. Verse 15 tells us more about these men and they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right, man, his right mind and they were afraid. When these men who are watching the pigs and their owners and the others come back to see what's gone on, they see this man that all they know, the crazy man you don't go near, that no matter what you bind him with, he can break it. And he's sitting, and there's been a tremendous change. And they're afraid at the power that Jesus has. And notice what they say in verse 16. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And verse 17 seems like it's not the right verse there, but it is. And they, the owners of these pigs and those in the area, began to pray or to ask him, ask Jesus, to depart out of their coasts. Instead of turning to Jesus as their Savior when they saw the power of Jesus, all they could think about was the loss of the money they would have made off the pigs. All they could think about was the temporary pleasures of this world. Here they see this man, the crazy man, and he's sitting down. Before they couldn't get him to sit for two seconds. And he was going crazy and breaking everything. And they said the only place for him is out in the tombs and in the mountains. He's a crazy man. And not only that, the Bible says he's clothed. 
Another one of the passages that talks about this man tells us he was naked. But now he's sitting and clothed. And the Bible says, lastly in verse 15, he's in his right mind. He's able to think again clearly. He's able to think wisely. And Jesus has made a change that none, no one else can make because that's what Jesus does. No man could tame him, but Jesus could. Jesus had the power to defeat Satan, and he defeated Satan at the cross and rose victorious over Satan. And now there is no sting to death for the Christian. There is no victory when death happens because for the believer to die is gain and we go to be with the Lord. Verse 16, the keepers of the pigs, they rehearsed the story again to everyone about what happened about the crazy man and the crazy pigs. And verse 17, they say, hey, can you get out of here? We don't want to lose any more pigs. We don't want to lose any more. And they're more concerned about their money than they are the master. They want the temporal gain this world can offer, and they pass, like much of the world does today, on the eternal gain that Jesus offers them. How foolish. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37 tells us, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? But the man who was possessed by the unholy one now knows the holy one, and he wants to stay with Jesus. Verse 18 tells us, And when he was coming to the ship, Jesus, he that had been possessed with the devil, prayed him that he might be with him. Hey, Jesus, these people don't want me here. These people, you know, they, they don't even want you here. Can I just come with you? Can I just come with you on your journey? And maybe we would think that Jesus would say, well, sure, you can come with me. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus, can I stay with you? I just want to be near you. What's Jesus' response? Notice what Jesus says to the man who has been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ through the power of the gospel. Howbeit, verse 19, Jesus suffered or allowed him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. What a response. And Jesus says to us tonight, who used to be children of the devil, who are now the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Go and tell others the good news. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Those who know Jesus are to make Him known. And it's one of the evidences that we are truly His. That we understand we're ambassadors for Christ. We have been called, if we know Him, to make Him known. To get the gospel out while there's time. To be that light of the world. To reflect the light of the Son of God to a world that's so lost and so hurting. And so in need. Sin is so destructive and sin leads to such a terrible condition. But Jesus can make a transformative change. He's the only one who can. Jesus is still and always will be the only hope for a lost and dying world. Are you getting the name of Jesus out? Are you telling others about Him? Don't keep Jesus to yourself. Tell others of the change that, he wants to, that He's made in your life. Share your testimony. This man, I don't think, probably knew that much Scripture. I don't think, you know, that he had been maybe very well trained in the ways of the Jewish law or understanding who the true God was. But he had come to know Jesus. And he had seen the change Jesus makes in his life. And you know what he said? I'm going to go and do what Jesus told me to do. Notice verse 20, the last verse of our text. Notice what this man did, this man who has been changed from being the crazy man to being a man who loves Jesus and follows Him. And he departed. 
and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. And God would use this man to lead many others to him because the change Jesus has made in our lives was designed for others to see the evidence of that they too would come to know the true God and glorify Him. What a change Jesus has made in our lives. Notice what Ephesians chapter 2. Maybe no place in Scripture describes the change better that Jesus has made in our life than in Ephesians chapter 2. Notice what the Bible says there, and you hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were one of the living dead. We were walking around dead in our trespasses and sin. But Jesus made us alive. Jesus saved our souls and gave us new life. Where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. He's speaking of Satan. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. That is the change Jesus has made in your life. That is the change Jesus wants to make in many other lives in Banning and in Beaumont. And He wants to use you in 2022 to see the power of the Gospel again to change lives this year. Would you ask God to help you to be faithful to share that change that Jesus has made in your life? To tell others your testimony and to show others the change that Jesus has made in your life? People were amazed to hear about the amazing grace of God that would change a sinner like this maniac of Gadara. Go share your testimony with others. Share how the gospel has changed your life. I can't help but think of that song, Amazing Grace. And many of you, if not all of you, know the story of Amazing Grace, how John Newton, a former slaveholder, was, came to Christ through the prayers of his mother and wrote Amazing Grace the words when he thought back on what a wretch he was. How far away he was from God, but God in his grace brought him to himself. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace in our life. Thank you for the power of the gospel to change lives. Lord, no matter how far we've gone away from you, no matter how far the person on the street has gone from you, Lord, you are more than able and more than willing to change their life and transform it through the power of the gospel. Would you help us, Lord, in 2022 to be reminded of the power of the gospel to change lives. Would you help us not to be ashamed of the gospel, but to boldly proclaim it because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Lord, we're thankful that you've changed us. Help us not to forget where we came from. Help us not to forget that there are millions all across this world who've never heard the name of Jesus. And they don't know the change you can make. And they're crying and they're cutting themselves and they're in the tombs and they're the walking dead. And Lord, we have the answer. Would you help us to live out of lives that love you and are thankful for the change you've made in our lives to be faithful witnesses for your honor and glory. Lord, we love you. And we pray that you continue to use this church for your honor and glory in greater ways than ever before in the coming years. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.
Thank you, Pastor. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to sing a song of invitation here. I want you to sing it from your heart and mean it from your soul. And thank God for the change in your life. Thank God that you're here tonight. And uh, when we were in Israel, we went to a city. I don't remember. It was the ruins of a city. And I remember the, the guide telling us that it was the, man, the maniac of Gadara had come to that city and thousands of people had been saved because of his testimony. So here's one man. Jesus went out of his way to reach one man and literally thousands. Who knows? Who knows how many people will be in heaven because of that one man? Man, he was going down the wrong road. He was, he was at the end. He was demon-possessed. No man could tame him. Nobody wanted to be around him. Everybody feared him. Not Jesus. And so Jesus changed his life. And so that's the gospel. We can't change people, but Jesus can. Let us be a witness for our great God. And that's what this month is all about. Challenging us to be a witness here, but then to give financially as we'll introduce as we move through the month so we can support missionaries to go to Ethiopia. When they go home, they're flying back to Dubai. They're flying to Dubai from America. Then they're going home from Dubai back to Africa. You know, people need Jesus. People need the Lord. Let's sing this song from our heart, mean it from your soul, as we commit our lives even afresh to our Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> 